evidence and answers. The Bible claims to be the only divinely inspired Word of God. However, there are many religious books that claim to be divinely inspired, such as the Quran, the Book of Mormon, and many other religious works. So with so many books making claims of divine inspiration, how do we know the Bible alone is God's Word? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Pat presented evidence for the divine inspiration of the Bible. And today he will conclude this fascinating message. Remember, if you missed any part of this broadcast, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and look up the title, The Bible, a book like no other. You can download it or listen online. Now, here's Pat. We've got evidence of Caiaphas in 1990 in a royal chamber in Jerusalem. We discovered the ossuary of Caiaphas the high priest that sentenced Jesus to death. Not only that, you know, what about Jesus? Well, I was on a radio, and I used to be on a political talk show with Duke Iona, but also on the Ed Hamada talk show in the morning there, and I remember a skeptic calling and saying, if Jesus was such a astounding figure, significant figure, how come nobody mentions him outside the Bible? I said, well, that's where you're wrong. We've got over a dozen non-Christian sources, very hostile. They don't like Christianity at all. Tacitus calls it, you know, an evil uh, religion that mentioned Jesus. And what they say matches up with the gospel accounts here. Over a dozen non-Christian sources that mention Jesus as a real historical figure. If we didn't have the New Testament, if all we had were these guys and what they said about Jesus he'd still be a very remarkable person who lived a very unique kind of life. We have the famous paragraph from Josephus there, Jewish historian writing in the first century, very accurate historian. Much of what we know that went on there in the Palestine area comes from Josephus. And he says, at that time there appeared Jesus a wise man, for he was doer of startling deeds, a teacher of people who received the truth with pleasure, and gained a following both among the Jews and among the Greeks. And when Pilate, because of the accusation made by leading men among us, condemned him to the cross, those who loved him previously did not cease to do so. And up until this very day, a tribe of Christians has not died out. Kind of summarizes the story of the Gospels and Acts, doesn't it? Well, that's the incredible world of archaeology and the kind of historical confirmation we have of the Bible. How do other religious works compare? Have you heard of Islamic archaeology department? We have very little archaeological confirmation of Muhammad and the events of the life of Muhammad recorded in the Quran. Very little. You go to Mecca, Saudi Arabia, what do you find? It's a modern city. Everything's cemented over. There's no archaeology going. That's, that's supposed to be the oldest city. When Adam and Eve fell from heaven, they ended up in Mecca. That's the, supposedly the oldest, oldest city in the world. There's no archaeology there. You go to Jerusalem, you can't walk around without running into yellow tape anywhere. Why? Because there's archaeology digs all over the place. Okay? You can't go to a part of Jerusalem and not run into some kind of yellow tape where contractors and construction workers have run into some kind of archaeological discovery there. 
not what you got in Mecca. There, in fact, Muslim scholars are beginning to wonder if Muhammad was an actual historical person. He may be the invention of Abdul Malik, uh, who invented this figure nearly two centuries later. Right? That's how scanty the archaeology is. The Book of Mormon. Have you heard of a Mormon archaeology department? All the cities that scoured and covered North and South America, we've never found them. I remember sharing with a couple Mormon missionaries, you know, after we presented the huge difference between Mormon theology and biblical theology. I said, these are not the two same religions here. Either there are many gods and all men can become a god, or there's only one god, eternal, none other like him. You know, and, and they finally said, well, what do you think of the Book of Mormon? I said, it's an unhistorical work of fiction. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, where's the archaeology for the Book of Mormon? I happen to be an archaeologist. And they said, well, go to mormon.org and type in archaeology. And I did. Nothing pops up. All right. We haven't found anything that supports the Book of Mormon. By the way, we have over 100,000 discoveries that confirm its historical accuracy. The Bhagavad Gita, okay, one of the most important books in Hinduism. Well, we know that's folklore and mythology. We know that didn't happen in the historical realm. Many will argue, well, there have been so many copies of the Bible made by men. They didn't have Xerox machines, obviously filled with errors, edited, changed the translation. So what we have is not accurate to the original text. Well, let me tell you why that argument fails. When it comes to the New Testament, just the Greek manuscripts alone, we have over 5,000 ancient Greek manuscripts, the earliest we can date to within 25 years of its author. All right? And if you include translations and commentaries from the church fathers, it's over 24,000 ancient documents that confirm uh, the accurate transmission of the Bible. How do we know that? Well, these manuscripts we find are from all over the Roman world. All right, from East Africa, Asia, Europe. Okay, and we compare them, and we find that they are extremely accurate to what we have today. If all we had was, let's say, the originals, and that's the only copy we had, and it was in my possession, how do you know I haven't tampered with it? Well, you don't. But man, when we've got these thousands of copies from all over uh, the Roman world, I mean, to say, well, it was doctored and changed, well, that's quite a conspiracy there. I mean, how did these ancient copyists get these 24,000 documents and change them all? And, uh, you know, pretty hard to do, isn't it? Well, when it comes to works of its time, historical works that we don't argue about, okay, we say these are historically accurate. Plato, we all read that in college. Well, Plato's work is built on seven manuscripts. The earliest is 1,200 years after his life. Tacitus. Okay, another Roman historian, very accurate. His work is built, and most of these are partial manuscripts too. Okay, remember when you're read, reading Plato in college, there's all these parentheses in the sentences. It's because these are partial manuscripts. There's only 20 manuscripts. Oldest is a thousand years after his life. Caesar, the life of Caesar, nobody doubts. Well, it's built on 10 partial manuscripts. Oldest being a thousand years later. New Testament, just the Greek manuscripts alone, you have over 5,600. Earliest, the Rylands dating about 25 years after the life of John. The Quran, that's written over 150 years after the life of Muhammad. How many manuscripts do we have? Only about a half dozen. 
And guess what? They're very different, very different from the Quran you read today. They are really different, okay? The Buddhist scriptures, they're written 400 years after Buddha. Buddhist scholars will tell you, we don't know if we have the original teachings of Buddha because the first one we have is centuries later. If we didn't have these manuscripts, we still have the writings of the church fathers, thousands of, quote, in, of quotations. In fact, they quote every verse of the New Testament except 11. So even if we didn't have the manuscripts, we have the writings of the church fathers, and we could reconstruct the entire New Testament there. All right, next. See, when you have that many manuscripts, it's easy to compare and figure out where the discrepancies are and see if and how much the New Testament has been changed and edited. You should be able to trace that change. But we don't see that in, and you've got 24,000 manuscripts to look at. I was speaking with a Muslim, and I said, now obviously the Quran and the Bible contradict one another. They both can't be right. I said, how do you know the Quran is right? And he said, well, we know because the Quran says. I said, well, that's circular. The Bible says. I said, give me the evidence. I said, how many Quranic manuscripts do you have? Maybe half a dozen. And they're very different from what you have. He said, well, how much does the Bible have? I said, well, you got, we got 24,000. 5,600 Greek. Translate, you added all 24,000. And he said, well, we cannot trust the Bible because it has been corrupted by the Christians. And I said, then you should be able to show me the line of corruption. You should be able to show me all the corrupted manuscripts and how it has been changed over the centuries. Can you do that? You've got 24,000 manuscripts to look at. Silence. That's why that argument falls apart. How about the Old Testament? Well, it's a little bit harder. The Old Testament, they would burn their scrolls or ceremonially bury it. But we knew that the scribes made very accurate copies. They were very tedious to make accurate copies. But in 1947, the most significant manuscript discovery was made, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. All right? Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered here along the Dead Sea. You've seen the famous picture of the caves here. And what was discovered was hundreds of fragments of the Old Testament, some dating as early as the 4th century B.C., the latest about the 1st century A.D., written by the Masoretes. Fragments from every book of the Old Testament were found except for the book of Esther. And when we matched them up with the Bible, the Old Testament, guess what? Dead on. All right. Now, here are some of the manuscripts there. Now, this is the importance of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Old Testament we have today is built on what we call the Masoretic text. The oldest Masoretic text we had up till that time was dated 900 A.D. When we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, most of them were dated about 100 B.C., that's a thousand-year gap between our Old Testament and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, if we saw a lot of changes, we could say the Old Testament has been corrupted. However, when we match them up, they were pretty accurate. In fact, we have the whole scroll of Isaiah there. We have the entire scroll. It's at the scroll museum there. You can go look at it. They matched the entire book of Isaiah up with the Masoretic text, and it was 98% accurate. Okay, the 2% difference had to do with grammar, spelling, or some commentaries that the scribes put in on the side. Otherwise, we were dead on accurate. Confirming what? The Old Testament has not been changed over the centuries. Now, we have found even older stuff of the Old Testament now. All right? Just recently, 
we have discovered what's called the silver text. Okay? And these were discovered in 79 in Jerusalem, but, or the silver scrolls, okay? and they date prior to the time of the Babylonian exile. They're 500 years older than the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay, and with laser technology and all that infrared and that we have now, we can start translating them. And we found a quote from Numbers chapter 6. What's so significant about that? It's identical to Numbers 6, 24, that benediction that we have today. It's the same. Okay? The evidence continues to mount that the Bible has been accurately transmitted, has not been doctored and changed okay, over the years. How do the other religious works match up. They don't have nearly, not even close, to manuscript evidence that the New Testament and Old Testament has. Okay? It doesn't come close. Right? Next. Then we have, of course, the unique supernatural confirmation of the divine Son of God. Jesus, who claimed to be the divine Son of God, confirmed his claim to his miraculous, sinless life and resurrection from the dead. Okay, a guy that claims to be the Son of God, who does miracles over every realm of creation, prophesies and accomplishes his own resurrection from the dead. <laughs> Better listen to what he says. Now, we know that we have an accurate historical record of the life of Christ because the Gospels give us an accurate historical record of the life of Christ. I do a whole seminar on the historical accuracy of the Gospels. You can listen to it on evidenceandanswers.org or read our articles. Okay, we have Paul's letters, we have the uh, book of Acts, we have non-Christian confirmation that I went over okay, that confirmed the events recorded in the Gospels. Historians were pretty much built an overwhelming case. The Gospels are written in the first generation, in the generation of the eyewitnesses. Okay? Why is that important? Because we know that as historians and archaeologists, we know it takes... 80 to 100 years for legends and folklore to develop. Why is that? Well, the eyewitnesses have to die and pass off from the scene. That's the only way exaggerations and myth can start creeping into the text. If I went to Dallas, Texas, and I said, John F. Kennedy was shot. Three days later, he rose from the dead at Parkland Hospital. He did miracles. 40 days, he preached there in the city of Dallas, and on the 40th day, he rose and went to heaven. I wouldn't last a day in Dallas. Why? Well, even 60 years later, there's still too many eyewitnesses who can corroborate my facts as true or false. The Gospels are circulating in Israel. The apostles are preaching in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses in the most hostile arena you can think of. In Israel, in Jerusalem, the guys that killed Jesus are still there. And they're saying, hey, the guy you killed, his tomb is empty. That miracle-working, self-proclaiming son of God, his tomb is empty. And you guys need to bow your knee and worship him. How can that message survive in Israel? That's the most hostile arena you could have picked. That's the worst place you can pick to try and start a legend. That's why the date of the Gospels is so important. And Jesus confirmed his claim to be the divine son of God by fulfilling over a hundred prophecies that were made of him. No one has that kind of record. The miracles he did over every realm of creation and he prophesied and accomplished his own resurrection from the dead, confirming he was who he said he was, the divine Son of God. And Jesus confirms the authority of the Old and the New Testament. Since he is the divine Son of God, 
what he says then is indeed the words of God. And he affirms the Old Testament directly, the New Testament indirectly. When he quotes scripture, he quotes the Bible and God interchangeably. Quoting Old Testament passages, calling them the word of God or God says. And Jesus affirms as historical many of what modern day historians and Bible scholars say is simply mythological. Jesus affirms Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Jesus affirms the Exodus account, which is considered mythology. You just see the archaeology we have on it now. Uh, I do a whole day seminar on the Exodus. Adam and Eve, Noah and the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, Jonah. Many stories that are considered mythological, Jesus affirms as historical. So we have the supernatural confirmation of the divine Son of God. We have an amazing unity despite diversity, okay, evidence. The Bible is written by over 40 authors on three different continents over a 1,500-year period under all kinds of different circumstances, under the Roman Empire, in exile in Babylon, in the desert, written by an uneducated fisherman, by a rabbi, you name it. With so much diversity, we have an amazing unity there. Consistency of theme, God's redemption of mankind. Consistency in theology, the nature of man. Is that something we're arguing about today? On that, nature of man, what happens after death, the nature of God, the origin of the universe, on and on. And there's an amazing consistency there, consistency on all these moral issues. It's absolutely amazing. Let me give you an example. Take 10 medical students who graduate from UH Medical School here, have them write four extensive papers on homosexuality, euthanasia, abortion, genetic engineering. Would they agree with each other on every point? Probably not. You got 40 different authors over a 1,500 year period with an amazing consistency. It's as if one great mind guided all of these authors. And we know who that was. Then we have the indestructibility of the Bible. There's no book that has been attacked more to destroy its credibility than the Bible. And despite all the attacks from historians, philosophers, literary experts, computer science, the Bible and its authority and credibility remains. Just the fact that it has remained as an authoritative source for two millennia, despite all the attacks, tells you there's something unique and special about this book. It fulfills the prophecy that Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall endure forever. My mentor, Norm Geisler, says this, the Bible has suffered more vicious attacks than would be expected to be made on such a book. Bible critics once regarded much of it as mythological, but archaeology has established it as historical. Antagonists have attacked its teaching as primitive, but moralists urge that its teachings on love be applied to modern society. Skeptics have cast doubt on its authenticity, and yet more men are convinced of its truth today more than ever. Attacks on the Bible continue to arise from science, psychology, political movements, but the Bible remains undaunted. Hey, the indestructibility of the Bible shows you there's something unique about this book. Then we have the supernatural confirmation of prophecy. The Bible records hundreds of events 
many in great detail before they even occur. J. Barton Payne, in his book, records over 700 matters that are predicted in the Bible, most of which come to pass with tremendous accuracy. When it comes to Christ alone, there's over 100 prophecies which he fulfilled. For example, in Isaiah 44, over a century before he even arrives, Isaiah mentions Cyrus by name and the things that he would do, destroy Babylon, that he would subdue Egypt, that he would let the Jews in Persia return without any ransom. And that, we know, according to history, came to pass. We have Daniel predicts the four coming empires with great accuracy. The final one, feet of iron and clay are still yet to come. Jeremiah predicts that the people and the nation of Israel shall remain until Christ returns. I was speaking with a Jewish girl at the university, and she said, you know, I'm an atheist. I said, why? She said, well, I'm Jewish, and I'm an atheist. So that proves the Bible's not true. I said, why would that prove the Bible not true? And she said, well, because if anyone should believe in the Bible, it's me. You know, and I said, are you sure you're Jewish? She said, yeah, I'm Jewish. I said, well, you're a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. She said, what do you mean? I said, never seen this passage before. Jeremiah 31 says, the Jews shall remain until Christ returns. The fact that we have the nation of Israel here is fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Ezekiel 44 says, the eastern gate shall remain shut until the Messiah comes. You go to Israel today, there's the eastern gate. It is shut, fulfilled by Suleiman the Great. He fulfilled Bible prophecy and, and he didn't know it. When it comes to Christ, he fulfills over a hundred prophecies made of him. From the city of his birth, the manner of his birth, his heritage, his lineage, the date of his death. Daniel 9, the 77s, predicts the exact day the Messiah is crucified. Does so with tremendous accuracy, just mathematically lay it out, and you get the date of the Messiah's death. Incredible prophecies. How many do we have of Buddha? Zero. How many prophecies do we have of the coming of Muhammad? Zero. How many prophecies are there in the Quran that have been fulfilled? Zero. There's no book that has a legacy of prophecy as the Bible. Well, what do we apply from what we have studied today? Well, here are the lessons I hope that we can carry away. Number one, the Bible is the only book that claims to be the divinely inspired Word of God and confirms its claim with historical and supernatural confirmation. Okay? It's the only one that gives that kind of confirmation. Therefore, the Bible alone is the Word of God. Therefore, since it is the Word of God, what it states is true. It flows out of the very nature and character of God. What it says is true. Any teaching contrary to the Bible then would be false. All right? The Bible says there's only two genders, not 26, or however many there are today. There's only two. The Bible states certain lifestyles are unhealthy and contrary to God's design. And finally, the Bible is meant to be studied. This is indeed God-breathed, the Word of God, but not only studied, but it's meant to be applied because it's true. And as Hebrews 4 says, it's the living word. When you apply it, 
and you see its truths come to pass. Prayers being answered. Because now you're praying according to God's will, not my will. This thing comes to life. And it becomes the living word. The Bible. There's no other book like it. We have the evidence to uphold its claims to be the divine, inspired, inerrant word of God. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you hear and would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And while you're there online, use our search engine for available resources. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcast like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran.